Hi, and welcome to The Abnormal Christian. I am Brad Mason. I'm here today with my wife, Natasha Mason. Hello, hello. There she is. We're back for episode number three, uh, coming at you loud and proud, and we're just uh, sitting here really uh, wanting to discuss some scripture and things with you. Um, I thought I would start off this uh, this episode with just really uh, describing a little bit more of what I uh, consider the abnormal Christian to be. I had read some articles this week on, uh, I believe, Facebook. A gentleman was describing uh, an abnormal Christian as someone who is not living up to their potential in Christ, someone who is still reflective of the world, someone who uh, is not mature. Um, someone who is, by all accounts, they're worldly, but they have a claim to the regenerated, the born again life. You know, um, and the land we all know these folks. We know these people. They say, "Oh yeah, I got saved when I was in uh, uh, youth group back in high school," and you know, um, and I know I'm saved, but you know, I'm just not living it right now. So those are what you know. In his article, that was how he described an abnormal Christian, and that's true. That is that is the abnormal side. I think that is down low. Um, the abnormal side that I'm talking about is the side that is above. Uh, we have the uh, the box where I think most churches, uh, most Christians fit. Uh, we're pew riders. We show up. We're good. You know, we're good for the Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. We're good, good people. Yeah, right. Do what we're supposed to do. Right. We're the we're the good people who show up because we've been told we need to show up. We we have to show up. Um, and I know that sounds kind of bad, but I don't. You know, I think there's this desire to fellowship with others that we all have. Right. I, right. I mentioned that before to you. Um, that it's it's a good thing to fellowship with the brethren. It's a good thing to have conversations and interaction. It's easy to do right when you're around people who want to do right. I mean, it's that influence in your life. So, um, but I think the majority of church folks we fit in that box. We fit in that that narrow window where the preacher is. We expect him to do all the work, and we expect the deacons to do the work. But we're gonna, you know, we're we, just gonna show up, right? We've all got lives. You know, we got jobs. We're we're busy people. So uh, we want somebody else to handle all the. Uh, the things that God wants us to do. We'll just kind of send missionaries out there and we'll send other folks to go do the work um, really because we're just not, you know, inside that box, you're really not interested in being outside of that. Um, And I think that that leads to um, it's nice because there's nothing there uncomfortable, especially in America. Um, you don't have to be an uncomfortable Christian because you really don't have to tell anybody that you're a Christian. You can do your job. You can wake up every day. Yeah, I mean, you could go your whole life, theoretically, in this country and not tell anyone that you, you're born again or that you're a Christian. Um, I think it's hard to do if you're a true believer that, that certain things in life are going to come up that you have to stand up for and stand against. Um, but, they, I mean, theoretically in this country, you wouldn't have to do that at all. And I think we have a lot of folks in this country who play, and they they like to play in that sandbox because that's where they're at mentally. Um, So on the abnormal Christian, we're looking beyond that. Um, It's easy to look at all the things that when we first got saved, we first became believers, we left our lives at the cross. Um, For a lot of people, that is an ending point. They say, oh, I got saved. All right, everything's good, right? So it's an ending point. But for us, it is really was the beginning point of who we are in Christ. It's not the ending point. It's the beginning to where we have this new life in us. And just like a a baby is born into a family and you have to teach it how to walk and talk and all these wonderful things, we're the same in Christ. When we're born again and we're believing in him and putting our faith and our hope and our trust in him, we're coming to a place of newness that we know nothing about. And, we're little babies. Right. And so we have to progress. We're we're going to progress through being taught. Um, and there's there's some different ideas behind of how, how do you teach your children. Um, so the abnormal Christian that, that we're describing is somebody who is 
actively seeking to progress the kingdom of God here on earth, who is actively seeking to glorify Jesus alone um, and not themselves. Um, and I think when we look at Christianity, and I'm speaking of American Christianity as a whole, um, there's a lot of that lacking. I think we need to say that we're not saying we're better. No, absolutely Christians not. Or that there's anything wrong with those people who like to stay in that box. But there are some of us who just want more. Right. And I, I think I agree with you. It's not we're not saying anybody who wants to stay within the, the guidelines of of their version of Christianity. I'm not saying that at all. That is not what I'm saying. What we are talking about are the people who want to have the fire of God in their life, the people who want to go out and minister to others, the people who have the desire to change the world. I spoke with a gentleman yesterday. I met a uh, made a new friend yesterday, which was nice, um, doing some music. His name was Ryan. And, uh, the, and I explained to him kind of how I view life and what. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on 42 this year, and I do not – I think about the future, and I think about the time that I'm not here. A lot of people don't want to think about death because I think it – they have to face it head on. Well, you know, it's an uncomfortable situation it's for the lost. Scary. Uh, well, for a lot of people, it is. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, I've spent so much time trying to do things, and I've tried to do things for Christ. At least that's what I've said. So, you know, I've done the music thing. I've sang in the churches. I've gone around and preached and and done things like that. And I've always held to that I'm doing this for Christ. And so for the longest time, I always said, and I told my wife, she knows this, I've always felt like, man, I really want to leave something behind. I want to go, if, if I died tomorrow, I want people to be able to say, wow, that Brad Mason. But, you know. Kind of like with Billy Graham. Right. But I think if you were to, uh, I finally got to the point maybe a year or so ago to where I realized that that line of thinking for me was wrong. It wasn't that, wow, Brad Mason should leave something behind. Um, I told Ryan yesterday, I said, you know, I've gotten to the point in my mind where I realize I should leave nothing behind but Christ. It's not what Brad Mason did. It's not who Brad Mason was. Did I glorify Christ and Christ alone? So that when I die and I pass on, people are going to say, man, that guy stood for the gospel. That guy stood for the cross. That guy stood for Christ. The only thing in his life that he cared about most of all was that Christ was glorified in all things. Um, and it's it's an easy thing to do if you're, you know, nothing that's with the passing of Billy Graham this week. I think it's an easy thing to do. He could have been caught up in his own fame. He was, you know, he was at the right hand of these, much so. these presidents were calling him for prayer. They were calling him for all kinds of things. Um, his ministry was huge. His ministry was massive. Um, he had a massive impact, a massive influence, and he could have got caught up in who he was as Billy Graham. You know, I'm the great Billy Graham. He could have been there. But I think the reason that the world didn't trip him up and they weren't able to find massive failures, he had his faults, I'm to sure. To get him to buy into that. Right. Um, is because he didn't believe in himself like that. He believed in the cross. And so it's easy, you know, I'm sure I would hate to think of all the things he had to struggle with in his life to stay humble because I hate to think, you know, when a lot of attention and fame come to people, it's it's easy to give into that. It's easy to give into the I'm so famous and it's everybody loves seductive. me. And, yeah. And I mean, he really, you know, I, he fought that hard. I think one of the, I learned a few lessons from him. Um, I wasn't a huge, massive fan. I don't I haven't read a lot of Billy Graham's works or anything like that. I did know of some of his sermons from his younger days. Um, you know, in some of the circles I grew up in, he wasn't the most popular. People didn't like him. They called it easy beliefism. He did the campus crusades, these huge crusades, and people said, you know, um, yeah, well, he's just he's inviting anybody to come and get saved, and, and you don't know. They're just saying a prayer, and they walk away from that being lost. I mean, these stadiums are huge and packed full of thousands of people. And the truth of the matter is, is that God himself 
chooses people. We don't come to God on our terms. We don't come to God on our time. We don't say, okay, today I want to be saved. We come to God when he convicts us and when he draws us. And all Billy Graham was responsible to do was to put the word out there that if you want to give your life to Christ, here's what it is. Here's what you have to do. Here's who you're putting your hope and faith and trust in. And then the Holy Spirit will go around and convict people. Um, so that was the Holy Spirit's job. And I'm sure just as many people walked away from that uh, being born again and saved and walked away into a true life with Christ as there were that people walked away and, you know, they just said a prayer and it didn't really touch them. It didn't really because it wasn't. They were just doing something. So can't hold him at fault for any of that because I think that uh, <clears throat> that falls on us. He right. he brought people there and it was up to God to convict them and whether they believed in God moving forward or or not. It really was not up to him. He just put the word out there and said, "This is how you can come to Christ." Right, and I think that is when we look at him and we look at his ministry and and when we look at what he left behind his own personal legacy was that he left behind and he pointed toward the cross and everything that he did so i think it's it's it was really telling to me when you see people posting stories on on facebook and online and on the news media and everywhere else they're posting all these things about billy graham and they're saying oh look at all these great things he did the poor man is gone now and so you know that was my discussion with ryan the other day or yesterday was um that's where i want my life to be i want my life to point to nothing but the cross uh, when I'm not here anymore. Um, so to me, that is the abnormal Christian life. It's not to, we're not saying that other Christians are not as good or that we're better than anybody else. In fact, we're saying we don't even want to be acknowledged. It is the fact that we should live our lives and operate in a way that glorifies Christ, right? It's the whole purpose of the cross is to glorify the Son. Son came to glorify the Father, and so those two are working with each other, and the Holy Spirit is here. Um, as our comforter, caretaker, overseer until the sun returns. Um, so the, the main, and that's, that's I think I went way long on the abnormal Christian part there, but that's that's okay. Yeah, that's just kind of what we're talking about is this lifestyle that wants to represent God. I think there's, um, if you have an animal or you have a child and you, you raise them and you feed them every day and then one day you stop feeding them and you don't feed them for a week and you don't feed them for a month, the hunger that's in them grows. They have this growing hunger till it's starvation is what it turns into. Uh, so there's this driving starvation that I've got to eat something. And I think the closer you get to God and the more you get to know him and the more you have a relationship with him through his son, that hunger is there because you're starving. You're, you're spiritually starved already. When you become a born-again believer, um, you're malnourished. I mean, you just became a believer. Your heart has just regenerated, and you've got this new life in you, and now this new life has to be fed. Um, so it's 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 really getting yourself into a, a mind frame of looking through the scripture, of searching the word of God, of praying, of growing, of being able to listen and discuss. And those are the things that, you know, I think are the starting points. So the abnormal Christian, where we're wanting to be is that we've been in that for a while. We've, we know a little bit of that. We're, we're kind of grown in that. We're not at the baby stage anymore. We're progressively moving forward. And so now we're at a stage where we want to discuss and want to have talks and we want to learn we want and we to want find like-minded people right and you want to grow in that um because you know it's it's very impactful um for people around you and it's very impactful in your own life when the holy spirit is running your life when you have given your whole life completely uh to the gospel to the cross and to jesus and you've sacrificed everything um so one of the things we'll talk about real quick is we're going to look at this subject we're probably going to the next podcast as well is the topic of sin um, because it was something I told my wife earlier this week that I really felt like discussing because I think um, 
the question always really radiates from what is sin. So what do you got on that? What is sin? <laughs> well, Ooh. I, it's hard to put into words. I, I think it's whatever you've been taught. So you think I'm a little kid is as this is it's right and wrong, but again, based on whose perception. Right. So sin, as we know it, right. So you come to the cross before you're. Um, say you're not a, a believer and you're listening to this podcast, and you're sitting here and you're trying to think of what separates me from God. And you know Hollywood and all the world is going to tell you that when you go when you die, as long as you were a good person, you're going to go to heaven. That's what they're going to say. They're going to say, "Oh man, you weren't that bad. You weren't." that bad you were bad but you weren't that bad well you weren't as bad as son of sam ted bundy exactly you're not as bad as so yeah uh, you're gonna get in you're not as bad as kaczynski or you're not as bad as jeffrey dahmer I mean, you're not as bad as hitler you know i mean so <laughs> yeah, i mean right. when when the world measures us against god the world always measures it by their own standards they always right. say hey uh, you're not as bad um but the the idea is um if you take if you take a drop of oil and you drop it in a glass of water, would you drink the water? No. Why? Because it's... Would it matter if it's a drop of oil or a teaspoon of oil or a cup of oil? I mean, would it... No. Why? Because the water's not clean anymore. The water is no longer clean. And so that's our lives. When sin is in us, the not as bad sin is still as bad as the bucket load of sin. So the one drop of sin keeps us from god just like the bucket load of sin would the little lie that i told when i was a kid is the is to god i'm not saying they're equal sins don't get me wrong but to god sin is what separates us from him and it's not a degree or a variable of sin it is sin in itself it is the drop of sin that is in your life it is the smallest littlest sin that is in you sin is in your blood sin is not something you learn to do sin is not something that somebody had to teach you you knew sin when you were born, the Bible well, says you're born not, into that. That's not to say that some people aren't taught to sin because they are. No, no, that's true. But it's not. It's really taught to um, – people are taught to live their nature. Your nature is sin. So if somebody teaches you how to steal, how to kill, how to lie, how to do anything wrong, if somebody's teaching you, it's because the ability to do that is in you. There's that ability to sin, you know. And so that's where we are before we come to Christ, before we give our lives to God. We are lost and we are dead in sin is what the Bible calls it because the wages of sin is death. And that is the ultimate goal of sin, is to kill every single one of us. And that's exactly what it's going to do. From the time we are born to the time we are dying, we are progressing through life, and we are headed toward death. And it's going to touch every person on this planet. And when we are dead, then we have to give an account for what we have done. And that's what the Scripture says. Um, so you know, we'll, let's get back to the, the beginning part of this, the sin. So sin, we come down to sin. Uh, you hear people talking about it. Actually, you don't hear people talking about it as much as they used to. It's one of the big, one of the big um, no-no words in the world today. Everybody wants to live their own life. They want to live their own way. They don't want somebody telling them what's right and wrong. They don't want um, constructive criticism. You keep all that to yourself. Don't judge me. No, don't judge me. That's the oh, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge. That's the one you hear all the time, right? Um, there's lots of other scriptures that says you are supposed to judge, but we don't talk about those because they don't fit our narrative so the world doesn't want to hear the word sin when they when they think of god they relate to god in god is what 
to the love. to the God is love. God is absolute love. God is mercy, and God is all these wonderful things. And He would never Rainbows send and right. He would never send anyone to hell. He would not do that. Everybody goes to heaven except for the five people I don't like. That's generally how that works, right? right. So I mean, it's it isn't that how it is? People will say, "I'll tell you where he can go." You know. So I mean, it's just we all believe that we're all going to heaven except for the people that we don't like. So they're they're going somewhere else, right? So. Um, so let's read I'll read some scripture real quick. I'm going to read 1 John chapter 3, a few verses out of that. And it says, Beloved, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear that we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath hope is purified himself even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin, this is the verse number four, I want everybody to listen to this. This tells you exactly what sin is. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So it's not a generality. It's not... um, It's not just an abstract idea. It's not just whether I feel something today or tomorrow. Sin is the transgression of the Torah, which is translated into English as law. Torah in Hebrew means instruction. Um, When it was translated, it was translated to use the word law. It became a legalistic thing. Uh, Torah was for the well of the people and how should they live and here are my commands and do these things and you'll live well and I'll take care of you. And so these are the promises of God that were in Torah. So sin is the transgression of the Torah of God, of the law of God. So the real question is, um, what are the laws of God? What does that even mean? What does that even mean to us? How many of them are there? And and how do I apply that? And how can I be responsible for what I don't know? And um, so this is where we get to. So before we get into all that, let's just look at sin as a whole, right? So we come to God, we come to the cross, we realize we're convicted um, of our sin. So we have to be convicted of something. So we know what? We can't be convicted of all these specific things. Um, so generally the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of sin as a generality, right? So you know you are a undone and unclean person. This is this is what we know from the Scripture. We, we don't have to say the Holy Spirit doesn't have to be. Maybe he is sometimes. He doesn't have to be very specific with us. But we know that when he comes upon a lost person, that lost person is horribly mortified when they realize how they are unclean and unpure standing before a holy God. So that the concept of being lost, uh, sinful, um, before salvation is kind of a, um, it's a, it's an area where we're not knowledgeable and we don't have a real good understanding of what the laws of God are, what the commands of God are, what his expectations are. We don't know that, but we do know that I am filthy and I'm unclean. And so that's the beginning point. I think for most people is sin is a state of uncleanness is a state of filthiness. It's a state where we know we are broken and we need to be fixed. So we're ashamed. Absolutely. And we're not, we're not happy or proud of anything that we do. Right. Kind of like when Adam and Eve were happy running around naked until they sinned and then they wanted to cover up because they were naked. Nice. I like that. So you're no, you're right. You're absolutely right. And and really, when you break it down to, if you read this verse in chapter four, or I'm sorry, this verse uh, four, it says, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the laws, right? So it is, uh, in this instance, it is an action. Sin is an action. It is transgressing the law. It is basically disobedience to the law of God. 
So sin, as it's written, is disobedience to the law. We know that Paul goes on later on to say, had it not been for the law, I wouldn't even have known what sin was. You know, Paul's he's laying it out that it's by the Torah of God, by the law of God, I now, you know, I know what sin is and I can avoid it and I can stay away from it. And the, I think the ultimate question for me in my mind comes back to if we know, and this is the messianic side of us, right? And I'm going to have a lot of people who are going to disagree with me. You can leave comments on the Facebook page saying, and that's fine. I, I'll take it. I'm, I'm a big boy. Um, if sin is the transgression of the law, what is not sinning? What is doing the right thing consist of? If sin is the transgression of the law and it is disobedience, what is doing the right thing? What is not sinning? Obedience? Uh, 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 come on. Obedience. Of the law? To the law, right? So, so if sin is transgressing the law, it's disobedience to the law, then obedience is obeying the law. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, hold on. Um, now people are going to say, this guy's saying we're back under the law. We're under the law, oh, we're, but we're under grace. And he's, he's saying we got to go back under law. And I'm not saying that at all. This is not what I'm saying. I'm saying the scripture says, and God said, and Jesus said with his own mouth, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Oh, wait a minute. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why would he say that? Why would he even say that if he was going to get rid of it all? If his cross, if his death at the cross, if his crucifixion was the end of the law and the law was completely done away with, why would he even utter out of his mouth, if you love me, keep my commandments? That's pointless. Yeah, it seems kind of doesn't have a purpose. No, it doesn't have any purpose. Like he would have just started at the cross and right. anything before that didn't even really matter. Right. But that's not the case. No, I think I think when he came, he said, uh, there's one portion where he says, I give unto you a new commandment, right? So people are, people are saying, oh, it's a new commandment, so that must mean all the other no, ones are gone. New no, new is in addition to. Absolutely. New is in addition to the commandments. It's not the getting rid of the commandments. And, and so everybody kind of understands what I'm talking about. I'm going to explain the law a little bit as I see it and as the scripture states it. Um, and I like to use the example of you're a speeder. My wife has got a lead foot. Um, she likes to no. drive. Yeah, she likes to drive quickly sometimes. Um, and so we know that if you get caught doing that, you're going to go to court. You're going to go to court for speeding. They're going to hit you with a fine. They're going to hit you with a fee. So you go into uh, you go into court, and the judge says, "Hey, here you owe us two hundred fifty dollars, right?" Um, so then this man out of nowhere pops up and says, I'm going to pay for that. I'll pay for that speeding ticket and I'll take care of it. And, uh, you know, I'll pay the penalty. I'll pay the cost. It's going to cost me everything I own to pay this, but I'm going to pay this for you. And, uh, the judge says, okay, I'll accept that. So that person goes in there and they pay your, your penalty, your fee, your fine. They take care of that for you. And you go back out on the street driving. Does that mean that the speeding limit went away? That person paid your bill, paid your fine and fee. Did the speed limit go away? No, the law is still there. The law is still there. The law of speeding is still there. It didn't go away. It just means he paid the penalty for you breaking the law. And this is the simple. This is the simplest way of looking at Christ, the law, and grace and mercy. Everything about grace and mercy is wrapped up in who he is because he himself was the Torah of God. Scripture says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right. So the Word of God, Torah, the Old Testament Scriptures, um, that was who Yeshua was walking around. The Word of God became flesh. It was manifest and dwelt among us. That's, that's, 
Scripture 101, this is what he's telling us he's doing. So he comes and he lays down his life. And so he himself said, I have not come to destroy the law, but to, or to, to banish the law or to get rid of the law. He says, I've not come to destroy the law, but to be the fulfillment of the law. If you think of the word fulfillment, it is like the goal, the purpose of the law, which is to pay the penalty where we have all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all broken the law in some way, and we have fallen short of his glory. And so Christ is coming in, and he's saying, I'm going to pay that for you. I'm going to be that for you. And really, if you think about this from a legal aspect, we are murderers. We are, um, we are uh, adulterers. We are liars. We are all these things. The Bible says, if we've, Jesus said, if we committed these things in our heart, we're as well as, we've as well done them. So we're standing before God, and the penalty for everything that we have done and the penalty for everything that we have thought, all those things that have gone in our lives have led us down this road, and it's led us to the throne of God, and it has led us to the sentence of death. That's where we're at. We are standing before him, and we deserve to be put to death. for the. And it's a scary thing to think about. It is a scary thing that if we are held accountable in front of God for the sins that we have committed, we deserve to die. We're going to get that anyway. That's the life we're living. We're going to die because of sin physically. But spiritually, when we stand before the Father, if we do not have an advocate, we deserve death. But Christ is able to step in and say, I paid that, that penalty. I paid for that. I paid for the laws they broke. I paid for that with my life. Just because he died on the cross 2,000 years ago didn't mean that the law went away. Because if it did 2,000 years ago, then what is God holding me accountable to? So he's got to be able to hold us accountable to the law. He's still holding that up and saying, you're still a sinner because you're still breaking my commandments. And so Christ has to be the penalty for that. He has to be the lamb that comes in and is slain. Once you get into understanding more of the temple services in the Old Testament, and you understand that there had to be a sacrifice for sins for the priests, there were sacrifices for the people, there were sacrifices for the nations, but this was because of sin. There had to be a shedding of blood. That was the way God required it. Um, and once we understand that, we understand we've broken the laws of God. We have not kept the laws of God. We have no ability to do that. And then Christ steps in and says, I will be the penalty. I will take the, I will take the punishment. I will pay the price. I'll take all of the legal aspects off of you, and I'm going to put them on me. And that's just like, you know, if you think of any uh, great thing that has happened in our country, you know, we have uh, all kinds of crime committed every day. If somebody stepped in for those people and took their place for punishment, we would all just be blown away. Nobody could believe it. You wouldn't believe it if somebody stepped in and said, I'll go to the electric chair for that person, or I'll take the uh, lethal injection for that, that guy. Front page news. Right. I'm going to let him live and I'm going to die for him in his place. That's what Christ did for us. And so when we look at the law, I think a lot of people get this. Um, we've divided the Bible into two halves. We've got the Old Testament is for the Jews and the New Testament is for the church and the Christians and the two shall not mix in twain. I mean, whatever it is, we've, we've, we've put the blank page in there and we said these two don't go together, right? Um, we say the Old Testament is the law of God and we say the New Testament is the grace of God. Um, the simple truth of the matter is, is if you want to know who Jesus is and you want to know who God the Father is, Yeshua and Yahweh, you want to know who they are, you better understand the Old Testament because that is where the nature of Yahweh is explained. The, the works of Yeshua are explained in the New Testament, but he was also the Word of God. He was the Word made manifest in the flesh. So if you want to understand Yeshua, you need to understand the Old Testament. You need to understand the Torah, and you need to, you need to get into that more because that's going to give you a greater glimpse of what, what happens in the New Testament. The Old Testament, you know, it's a foreshadowing. Um, 
So all of this related to sin really applies to us because we are clean and we are undone and we have been without uh, a father and without a home and we're, we're, uh, you know, the Bible uses a, a lot of different words to describe how longing we are looking for something um, and how we we need uh, we need God. And uh, it's really listening and paying attention to the to to his calling, because I can't guarantee, you know, the Bible says that God chooses whom he will. And personally, I can't guarantee that every person gets chosen. I don't know that I can't. You know, I don't I don't know if he chooses everybody. I like to think that he gives everybody the option. I like to think that he comes to everybody and, uh, you know, and, and John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. So I would like to think that God, um, because of who he is and his mercy, he didn't say for God to love the chosen world. Right. He didn't exactly. And so I, you know, there are some people who believe that, and that's fine. Um, but neither of us can verify that. So that's why we have to preach the gospel because we got to take it to the sinners and we got to say, hey. We've been there. We know what that is. We know what it means to live in sin, to let it rule our lives, um, to to guide us and direct us, and it doesn't do anything but lead us into death and destruction. I mean, that's the ultimate goal of Satan himself. He was the original, I would say he's the father of sin, but he is the originator of sin. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, Eve was tempted by that rotten devil who actually thought he was going to be higher than God. At one point, he had plotted to take over heaven, and he was going to, you know, he's going to set his throne above God in the stars, and he was going to rule and reign above him. He was the original idea of sin. Here it is. He's going to, you know, it was in him to, to choose right and wrong, and he chose wrong. Um, and so he's brought that to us, and now we are the uh, recipients of that that horrible nature that we, we inherited from our parents in the garden of eden adam and eve so so this has been just kind of a quick look at the negative side of sin uh hopefully going we'll do episode four and we're going to look at sin from the other side of the fence right so now we've, we've understood a little bit that we were lost and we were undone because of sin but what does that mean now that we're on this side of the fence we're born again we're believers we're in the family of god and we'll talk about that in the next episode so thanks for being with us and we will talk to you soon bye